0: Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kayo and Josh Carter.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. I'm your host, Cynthia Kayo. Josh is out this week. With us today, we have a founder, Joshua Emerson from SandsBank.io, and Josh is a Marine Corps veteran. Welcome to the show, Josh.
0: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great. Tell me a little bit about your um, history, your military history and like where you come from.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm i actually from a, a large military family. So I got a bunch of siblings and my dad was in the Navy. So I kind of from all over, you know, lived in Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Puerto Rico, England growing up. Um, and I knew I wanted to be in the, the military and my dad basically told me that I needed to go to the Naval Academy because that's, you know, so that's a good place to go if you want to be an officer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't really know anything about it, to be honest with you. (laughs) Um, I was like, okay, sure, I'll apply there. Um, And I got in. And then while I was there, um, I met, you know, a lot of really great Marine Corps officers. And I think that's what really convinced me that that's the direction I wanted to go. Um, So I spent five years as an infantry officer in the Marine Corps um, where I did was at one eight uh did two non-combat deployments one to uh spain which was a lot of fun did uh we were on the special purpose MACTAF crisis response unit um and i got to train with the spanish army um and then spent some time in okinawa which was just like a lot of fun a lot of scuba diving um a lot wow. of days in the water uh trained with the korean marines there that was good and then i spent 13 months in jordan um, working at the embassy in charge of all logistics and administration for, for the Marine Corps in the country of Jordan, um, and a lot of interacting with the Jordanian military and local Jordanians, which I loved. I really learned to, to kind of like that culture and to, um, you know, do things their way. And, uh, you know, I, I love that. I really enjoyed that as
1: well. That's a lot of OCOTUS duty stations <laughs> within a very <laughs> short period of time. How, <laughs> how many years did you spend in the Marine Corps altogether?
0: Altogether, it was, Five years so about a year that was in training, so yeah. half of my time in the fleet was spent overseas
1: mm-hmm. and this was after the academy
0: this was after the academy,
1: yep, okay, you know it's a small world because I have many um older Marine Corps brothers that are from one eight and two uh, eight infantry, yes, and there so there are the original devil dogs and. <laughs> And this, is, I'm not giving away my age because they are, they are a bit older than me, but they kind of, kind of adopted in a little Air Force sister. Uh, one of my um, my mentors, he was my instructor uh, at DINFOS when I was going to school for public affairs. And he was one of the very few Marine Corps officers that I had as an instructor. And later on down the road, many years later, I ran into him again when I was doing grad school and he goes, oh, you got to come down to Jacksonville and meet some of these Marines, you know. Um I was working on a documentary on uh, on PTSD and he goes you really need to meet some of these marines and and talk to them and you know I was really struggling with my post combat service and I think he saw something about connecting us together because I can tell you these folks have been really closer to me than my immediate family only in ways that they can understand things about my service that my actual relatives can't. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a small world because you meet some of these folks and like, it doesn't matter if you've never met, you know, they're like family. And for whatever reason, the infantry brothers are like the closest <laughs> friends I have. And yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they, they never cease giving me a hard time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's those. I mean, I've never met a infantry guy that I haven't, I haven't liked and haven't been, you know, hasn't been fun to to hang out with.
1: So that's yeah. cool. It's awesome. What what was your takeaway from s- serving overseas and being exposed to different cultures? Um,
0: I think I just really learned that you know people are, are people, right? Um, and that if you can get down to kind of like that core human experience, that you can really make friends and interact with um, and appreciate you know anyone and anyone any place that you're, you're in, right. People are going to do things differently. They're going to eat different food. They're going to dress differently, but you know, at, at its core, right. You're, you're both going through the, the human experience together. Um, and if you can distill that down, I think, uh, you know, you can really enjoy yourself and feel comfortable just about anywhere.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, did you know that you were just going to do a limited amount of time or um, like instead of a career?
0: no um I think when I got in, I thought I was going to be in like forever, uh, <laughs> like a lot of people. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, it's just a big part of, of why I went in the military too is was you know the excitement. And I was on a base on 9/11 um, where in Puerto Rico, right, which was totally locked down for a couple of days, and then for the next year, when you drove through the gate, there was a Humvee with a 50 cal like pointing at you, right? And I was like, what is? You know, I was as a kid. I was think I was like 10 years old, 11 years old there. I said, man, the people who did this and made our life such, I mean, there's just a massive shift in in what we had to do and what we could do and couldn't do on the base. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that very much impacted my desire to be in the military. And, um, you know, when I got to one eight was when everything was kind of wrapping up. Um, so that kind of, uh, motivation, I think was I kind of realized I, I wasn't really gonna have that chance. Um, And then I also realized that I wanted to do other things. Um, Yeah. So, so I think it slowly came on where I started to realize that, that I was going to get out. Um,
1: And uh, yeah. (laughs) And by the time I, you
0: know, yeah, I just realized that's what I want to do.
1: Great. So tell me a bit about that transitionary period. You know, what, did you, uh, did you have family members that were like, Hey, we're expecting you to like kind of move back home and, Um, was there a certain tradition you had to uphold with your occupation or how did you get started into entrepreneurial work?
0: Yeah. So it was a very windy road. So I knew for my first deployment, right. My, my Marines were were smart. Um, There's no, there's no getting around that. Those guys could memorize the uh, the machine gun Bible or they could very quickly adapt. We had a new mission, um, tactical recovery aircraft and personnel that we hadn't done before. And they, they feel like they mastered it pretty quickly, um, but they hated learning. Um, uh, and I love learning. Um, you know, I love just reading and and, and just, I love math. I was one of those weird guys, you know, I just loved everything that, about learning. Um, so it really bothered me that I felt like the Marines didn't do that. And they kind of had horror stories from their schools. Um, so I was like, okay, I want to get an education, right. I want to go back because I fully believe you know the future of any country rests on its, uh, on an educated population and starts mm-hmm. as, as children. And so I was like, that's what I want to do. So, uh, I found out and I got into teach for America, but I also had this dream since I was a little kid watching Kung Fu, Jackie Chan movies <laughs> that I wanted to go to China and I wanted to learn Kung Fu and I wanted to learn, uh, uh Mandarin. Mm. So I, I got teach for America where they basically train you and then place you in an inner city school. And then, um, I put it off for a year so that I could travel. So I, um, that's what I did. I went to China. I had one-on-one lessons in Mandarin. I had one-on-one lessons in Kung Fu from a Kung Fu master. Uh, and that was my life for like six months. Wow. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And while I was there, I realized that I was always very independent. Like even in the Marine Corps, I always wanted to, you know, it's like the Pacific commander, you know, it's your dream is always, you know, you design the training. Um, and I love to do that. Um, and even as an expert, I love designing training. Um, and it's, that's kind of like you're entrepreneurial within the Marine Corps, right? Like you're finding out things on your own, you get a lot of independence, you're kind of putting everything together to make it work. Um, when I was in China, I was like, I want to start a business, you know, as well. Like I want to do this on the side, I still want to get an education, but I want to start a business. So when I got back from China, it was about six months before, um, before the school year would start, or the training would start. So I start, and this was like at the beginning of the pandemic, right? So my friends from China are like, it's all about to get locked down because they're getting locked down, yep. right? So they're like, it's coming to you. Like it's going to get locked down need you get to a place where, um, you know, you can't, can't go anywhere or whatever. Um I was like, okay, let me do that. And and you uh, were there, you were there on a tourist visa or? I was there on a student visa. A student visa. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was there on a student visa, six month student visa. I got back December of 2020. <laughs> like. Oh. I got back and then I tra I continued to travel. I saw. I went to my friend's wedding and then a month later is when everything started in the states. Mm-hmm. right? All the lockdown started, all that stuff started. Um, and I, I mean, I sold my car, I was living out of like a backpack. I no kidding. I flew back to Florida and like knocked on my parents' door. It was like, Hey, you guys remember me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Cause my plan, I have a family in the Caribbean. So um, that's where my, my mom's from actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to go see them for a couple months. Uh, I was going to go back to China potentially, uh, or I've got family in different places all over the world. My family is is from like all over the place, um, so I had no plans of stopping, uh, but I, I was forced to do that. And so um, that's when I started looking at businesses, and I started looking up. Um, I realized I didn't have time to develop my own business, so I called a franchise consultant, uh, and he and I was like, "Hey, I want to start a business that already exists, like a franchise, but needs to be something that's mobile." and something that I can kind of like scale up and down so I can still be a teacher. Um, and he was like, oh, you could be a franchise consultant too. Um, it's a business opportunity. They'll train you and you can work at it as much or as little as you want. And I was like, sick.
1: So That's nice. what I
0: started doing. That was my first business. Okay. Um, and I quickly pivoted to- In only the middle of better. pandemic
1: or at the business beginning in the of- the middle pand- of pandemic. Yeah. Yes.
0: Where my single source of revenue was if somebody bought a franchise. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: so, so I didn't make any money for like nine months. Um, because nobody wanted to start a business in the middle of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. except for me. Uh, (laughs) But that's okay. Right. I learned a lot that allowed me to um, I read over a dozen books on starting businesses and small businesses and franchising. Um, I also went through my business opportunities website with like, there's over 500 franchises on there. And I memorized, you know, the vast majority of information about, about those franchises. Um, So on the other side, I basically, you know, when I interview people to match them to the right franchise for them, I could really pull just about any information they need to know about any franchise. Um so that time was was not wasted, right?
1: Yeah, I uh, really think that's a that was a nice cushion coming from exiting the Marine Corps, you know, cause you're coming from such a very rigid culture mm-hmm. and being overseas. Like, I think you were overseas longer than you probably, you know, were on duty in the, in the continental U S it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny cause I met another Marine who was uh, who's from Guam, never lived in the continental U S and like grew up in Guam and joined the Marine Corps. The only time he was in the continental U S was when he was at Paris Island. For training and then went to okinawa like got deployed he was overseas the entire time (laughs) he was enlisted and so to this day like he lives in another part of the world now and like he's gotten out but i call him the un-american american American. and (laughs) i have so i'm I, i have chinese background my ethnicity is um chinese my mom's part portuguese i grew up in canada and so i have chinese friends that will say you're the non-Chinese Chinese person <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> because I'm fluent in Cantonese and my Mandarin is acceptable, but they can tell it's not, you know, local. Oh, wow. So I really get this, you know, the dual cultural, multicultural lingo and um, persona, but I, I really think that that will strengthen you. It strengthens people when you understand what other cultures go through, when you can kind of context switch or culture switch, you know, between one and the other. Um, And it makes you really adaptable, especially when you're an entrepreneur, like doing business globally or doing business with other people. I think it really starts with just coming to the table and being able to listen more than you can speak. And I'm sure you've noticed something about the Chinese culture is like they won't talk about business. They're not very direct. They won't get right to the point like Mm -hmm. Americans do on business stuff. Like you sit and you drink tea and you Mm -hmm. have brunch and you spend a lot of time developing the relationship before you even get into business talk. Um, and it's like that in the Middle East as well. We can find time in Africa and the Middle East. It's the same way. Uh, so yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Like when you decided to kind of stand up Sands Bank, what was going through your mind?
0: Yeah. So, um, when I was, uh, selling franchises, right. Or, you know, advising people to buy franchises, however you want to put it. Um, I spoke to a lot of very successful people, right. Who, who like monetarily are doing very well. Um, and I asked them, like, how did they get to that? What do they invest in? And a common refrain was commercial real estate. Right. Um, and I started doing commercial real estate courses and learning about it. And I realized a lot of the best opportunities are reserved for accredited investors. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, million dollar plus net worth, not including your home or, you know, you're making 200, $300,000 a year plus, um, And I look back, you know, to where I grew up and there were no credit investors in the cities, you know, in the towns I lived in growing up um, in my high school or anything like that. And I thought, man, this, you know, this is kind of messed up. Uh, And I think I was also learning about blockchain, right? I was very, getting very deep into blockchain, uh, how it works, what it can be used for besides just like Dogecoin, right? Mm -hmm. That was big when I was starting was like, oh, you know, I wanna know like, no, this is, this is obviously new and and world changing technology. Like how do you actually use this? Um, And around that time is also where I met my co-founders who uh, have worked together in the past and they've made or helped grow uh, very large tech startups, right? They've done products or they've done finance uh, for for other tech companies or other consumer facing companies. and I basically brought to them like, hey, I want to create something where we're using the blockchain to fractionalize commercial real estate or debt backed by commercial real estate, but allowing anybody to have access to this debt, right? Mm-hmm. These these very high, you know, these high stable returns. I want to be able to go home and say to my friends I grew up with, you can buy this investment now. It's not just for accredited investors. And that's how Tons Bank got started. Okay. So that's that's um, when we all, you know, me and the co-founders put our heads together and we realized we can create something where we're offering loans to, to multifamily owners. Uh, we fractionalize it using security tokens on the blockchain down to $100 pieces and allow anyone to invest in those pieces. And that's what Sons Bank is, right? Kind of fulfilling that, that goal.
1: So how does somebody get started if they're not familiar with blockchain?
0: That's kind of, we, we knew uh, that most people that use that we want to use Sons Bank um, are not really familiar with the blockchain. Mm-hmm. So for them, it's it's going to really look kind of like a, a Robinhood, right? They just log on, they connect their bank account, and then they can buy as many of mm-hmm. these pieces of the loans as they want, and they just receive dividends. And to them, it just looks like dollars because we're using cryptocurrencies that are pegged one to one to the U.S. dollar, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 basically like dollars, and then whenever they put their, their money into the account, we're really converting it into those uh, stable coins, right? Right. Um, and when it's coming out, we're converting it back into fiat. But for them, they don't have to do anything on the blockchain, right? They just have to tap, buy or sell or whatever on uh, on the app.
1: Got it. Um, Tell me a bit about where, you know, how, how did your military training come into play with being an entrepreneur? What What are the lessons that you would say are either helpful and and or hurtful (laughs) because i can see you know i say that i say that with tongue-in-cheek because there are times where my military kind of personality um hurts me. And I'm like, okay, I realize that me being very, very direct or being kind of (laughs) black and white doesn't help the situation. And in other times it does because I'm very organized and I kind of get my team to, Hey, all right, what's the mission focus. Right. And uh, it's not everybody out for themselves. Like who on your team is struggling and help them out. Um, Are are there things like that, like situations like that, that you found yourself in?
0: Yeah, I think you, I mean, you described it very well. Um, Luckily, I spent you know, the last year in the Marine Corps working out of the embassy. So I was in civilian clothes 99% of the time. I was working with civilians because um, I was working with contractors or I was working with embassy personnel. Uh, and so I really was able to get rid of the bad habits I had gotten in battalion where you can say and do things in an infantry battalion that you really shouldn't do around, you know, like other people. Uh, yeah, um.
1: <laughs> I could just, I could just think of like all the, all the jokes that my Marine Corps brothers post kindly on my Facebook wall, and my family looks on in horror, going, "Does that guy really hate you?" I'm like, "No, he's just that's his way of saying I love you." <laughs> like it's backwards, but that, yeah. that's what we do. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. So I mean, that's definitely part of it. Part is just like. Like you're saying so co- you're very confrontational and it's not con- you know in the battalion it's like hey we have to know if this is going to work or not right yeah. it's not a confrontational it's like this is this is necessary you know um that's not how a lot of people see it so um i learned to tamp that down and then um in china right like I, I scaled it even back further um to the point where i still wasn't you know um i was much more of a civilian so i think that's six months in china I actually did me really well because of the, you know, they blocked the internet there. They control the internet. So I, I didn't have mm-hmm. WhatsApp. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have any social media. Um so it was just like six months of decompressing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it was like the easiest life in the world. I, I did Kung Fu in the morning, I studied Chinese, and then I went to the gym and then I got food. And it was like just that for six months. Um, it was amazing. And so I think that really helped decompress and kind of like not enter into the civilian world um, with some of the challenges that I think I see some of my my friends have where they're like, oh, these civilians. Because uh, I kind of went through that slowly. It was like mm-hmm. a slow change um, as I was getting out. So that was really nice. Um, but in terms of where it helped, I think it's helped a lot uh, in terms of the planning, right? So kind of like this all-encompassing planning of where you start with, where you want to end, and you have this objective, and you know that you've got to integrate across all the different Right, like in the Marine Corps, you got you know your your admin, you got your logistics, you got your intel operations, you know your comM, and you're integrating all these things, but you're doing each of the planning kind of separately, but knowing where you're all going should all integrate. Um, and for something as complex as Sons Bank, I think that ability to think like that and to plan like that um, was invaluable because it is quite a complex. Under the hood, like the even the plan, right? Not even just getting into the technology and how the technology works, just the overall plan of how everything works together. Um, and if I hadn't have had that experience of planning large uh, exercises or you know doing the op- the the exercises that the uh, battalion would take us through as kind of like grooming us to be better officers, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I would have been able to keep up with the planning or or been as success- successful with it as I was.
1: Yeah. Has your co-founder, like, did um, did he have any time in the military or is it hard for him to understand that that portion of you?
0: No, not all. So he what's funny. Is he was in the Finnish Army or excuse me, the Finnish Marine Corps. Oh, okay. um, so he was drafted into the Finnish Marine Corps when he was, you know, when he got out of high school. So he um, actually has a taste of what it's like to be in the military. Uh, and then my other co-founder, uh, she was not in the military, but she has a military family. Um, and, uh, her thinking is so like logical and, and just like sequenced mm-hmm. that if you read something that she wrote, you might be like, Oh, it was, you know, is this person in the military. Um, so it's actually like, we fit like our personalities fit together really well.
1: Yeah, that's really great. A lot of the things that, you know, Josh and I have discussed and like talking to other founders is, um, picking, picking your, your co-founders and your executive staff, the people that you trust, the people that are going to advise you that are going to keep you accountable, those relationships either make or break the company. And I know you guys just started, like, when did you get off the ground? So we've been
0: working and planning and stuff probably for like eight months now. Um, but we took in our first investment less than a month ago and, and really started working on, um, like we're still developing the technology, right? People go to the website, still just a splash page. Um, so we're still we're still very new, uh, but we have been working together for for a little while now.
1: Yeah, sounds great. I mean, where where do you see Sans Bank going within 2022 and within the next year? Because you guys are like just growing very very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we we are growing quick. So I think we're going to issue these loans without the blockchain. Um, I mean, we already have somebody who's who's waiting for the loans. So we're waiting for the uh, for lawyers right now to write up the. The lending documents and we're going to start issuing these loans right away um they're a new type of loan where we use future profits as collateral as opposed to equity in the home mm-hmm. so we're really like the only person doing it for smaller apartment buildings um so that's pretty exciting so a lot of we've gotten we've spoken to a lot of brokers and, and owners around here who are apartment owners who are very excited about this so we're going to start issuing loans um right away and then as soon as we're done raising the capital for for the seed round we're going to build, so we expect to be fully the build to be fully completed and launched by the end of 2022, um, as well as having at least five, could be a lot more uh, loans issued, um, and then raising the Series A for us to to really expand across uh, all Southern California and across to New York City. That's the that's the plan currently. Okay.
1: Hey. So, I mean, what are some of the lessons you've learned in just your, in the last, I mean, you've really been in a pandemic bubble, like mm-hmm. running a business, getting a business off the ground in the middle of the pandemic, I'm sure has not been easy. What are some things that you can share with um, growing entrepreneurs that are listening?
0: Yeah, I think that it takes a while. it takes longer than you would expect to do um, a lot of things, especially when you're building technology or building anything. Um, so be patient, but don't, don't think that like, if you have time, that the time shouldn't be filled, right? Like there's always more stuff to do. You just need to think further out into the future, right? So like this pandemic, it's not going to last forever, right? We're going to have to, we're going to have to change the way we operate as the United States, right? As, as people. So you need to see, looking into the future. How is that operation going to change and how are we going to start planning for it now? um and what are you doing to prepare for when that thing is built right so like we're planning or wait we're getting things built but like what's going to happen next right you need to live in the future and make sure that it's never like a gap in time of like okay this is done now what do we need to get done right you need you need to get prepared for stage 2 while stage 1's still going
1: right like really getting that strategy down on what to expect you know, down the road. And I think it's, it's kind of difficult because a lot of people are pivoting and they have pivoted over pandemic. Um, but also keeping in mind, hey, is this the future of work? Because we are remote, we're global, you know, we've had to depend on new processes more than ever. Um, blockchain really, I mean, it's been around prior to the pandemic, but it really kind of blew up during the pandemic. And I think you're at a good point time right now where people are exploring it, they're getting familiar with it, you know, um, really trying to see like where, where this business is going to grow within the next couple of years. So it's, it's really exciting.
0: Yeah, it is exciting because like I said, we're, we're, you know, people are very interested in, in real estate as well. Mm -hmm. um, And they're less and less trustful of of banks and, and other financial institutions. And we're giving them the opportunity to invest in something that's backed by commercial real estate. Um, I really think that's what's going to drive the growth. Is you know, it's very difficult if you're not an accredited investor to have exposure to commercial real estate, and, mm-hmm. and this is going to give people that.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Do you have any other uh, words of wisdom you want to share?
0: Um, you know, for the the founders out there, I think it's just to do it right. Like, there's definitely been, and I hear this on you know all all the shows. I think everyone said it, but there are definitely nights nice where. <laughs> You're not sleeping because you're so worried about the business, yeah. right? Um, and it's just to, to embrace those and to know they're coming and don't fear them and don't let the fear of like that happening stop you from starting a business. Uh, I think veterans are great business owners, right? I've seen it on the franchising side because I've held a number of veterans start franchises. Mm-hmm. Um and, and they do phenomenal, right? So I highly, highly, highly recommend every veteran to consider owning a business, whether it's a startup or a franchise or whatever, um, as opposed to just going and working for somebody because their talents exceed anything that a person could pay them.
1: That's definitely the core of why this podcast exists to kind of share our knowledge, you know, share some of our triumphs and our losses. And to me, I never look at a business failing as a failure, I look at that as a learning opportunity because mm-hmm. you do get better. And um, you know, I think veterans are just naturally suited to becoming entrepreneurs and or working with entrepreneurs. Um, so thank you for being on the show. I can't wait to hear, you know, where where your future goes and where Sons Bank goes. So please reach back out. Uh, for those listening, join us every Friday at 1 p.m. West Coast on the Startup Radio Network.com.